Welcome, everyone. I'm Ken Harris, Head of Academic Medicine and State Government Providers at Amazon Web Services, and I'm the guest of today's second episode for podcast dealing with health data. Our topic today is going to be around how healthcare providers can unlock data for better patient outcomes. And I'm joined by Dr. Jay Schnitzer, who's the Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of MITRE, and also one of the founders of the nonprofit global health ecosystem. So welcome, Jay. And maybe we'll have you give a little bit of background on yourself and, and MITRE and the global health ecosystem to, to kick us off. Fantastic. Thank you, Ken. It's a great pleasure to be with you today, and I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this. My day job at MITRE is that I oversee and direct our independent research and development program as chief technology officer. And as chief medical officer, I'm dual-headed. I provide subject matter expertise into health life sciences and various medical projects and subjects. My background is perhaps a bit unusual. I like to describe myself as equal parts of recovering chemical engineer and pediatric surgeon. <clears throat> and as such, I've tried to position myself professionally now for over 40 years at the interface of life sciences and physical sciences, where I think there's a lot of exciting, innovative action and has been and will continue to be knowing that and continuing to know that the 21st century is the century of the life sciences. I've spent time in multiple sectors, including academia, the private for-profit sector, government, and now with a not-for-profit. And so I think I've got a, a window into various parts of the ecosystem and uh, experiences with each uh, as we try to think about how to maximize the utility of health data going forward. The concept that behind the global health ecosystem that you mentioned is to try to create a coalition of the willing to maximize the utility and impact of data in solving the world's most important health issues. Thank you. Needless to say, Jay, you're, you should be considered by all of us an expert in health data. So we're, we're glad to have you here today. Just for full disclosure, Jay and I have known each other for about a year and a half, getting involved early on in the global health ecosystem, which Jay leads. Um, and I'm really happy to participate there. And, you know, that program, we're going to talk a lot about um, how it's spearheading the, the use of data and hopefully leading the health community in general towards better practices for utilization of health data. So maybe that's a good place to, to launch off, Jay, with you giving us kind of your view of what defines health data. Well, I think, first of all, thanks, Ken. Health data is and will continue to be the key to unlocking many, many important unsolved problems in human health and healthcare today and well into the future. And I would say, from my perspective, data is by far, by far, the most valuable weapon in our arsenal to defeat and prevent disease and to promote health. So I think it's all about the data. And then I frequently get asked, <laughs> excuse me, if you frequently get asked, well, what, what's a good definition for health data? What do you what do you mean by that? And uh, get asked whether it's electronic health record data, clinical data, or other types of uh, data that we might be interested in with respect to humans and disease. 
And it is, of course, and in fact, all of the above and more. Um, certainly, we want to start uh, with the clinical information that's contained in an individual's medical record, electronic or otherwise. But we should also include many other sources of data, including nutrition status, exercise and fitness status, the abilities of an individual to conduct normal activities of daily living, their access to transportation, their access to healthy food, where they live, are they in a food desert, and whether the family uh, and other supports have access to them and vice versa. And not to mention the incredible amounts of data that are being generated every minute by wearable electronics, smartphones, and other new devices that are constantly uh, uh, coming into the environment. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I was just reading a new statistic that by 2025, every American will be generating 5,000 data points per day off of wearable devices or um, social media, et cetera, related to their health. And that's just a huge amount of data that's, you know, landing in a lot of different places. Um, and given that kind of information, which we believe may be valuable, you know, how do you see that ultimately impacting a, a researcher's, um, you know, view of data or, or ultimately even a clinician wanting to understand their patient more than just episodically in a, you know, 20 minute patient encounter? That's a great question. And first of all, you're absolutely right. The explosion of data generation is huge and it's getting greater and greater. The slope of the curve is increasing every minute. So looking into the future, there's going to be more and more data and we're going to be awash in it. The, the challenge will be to sort and sift through the, the, the data and convert it into knowledge and understanding and ultimately action. And that's that's the hard part. But we've got to start with uh, figuring out how to access the data and, and uh, understand what it is and where it is and how useful it is. We're, we're using it already all the time in research and clinical care today at uh, to great extent. And that provides us with a, with a wonderful foundation. But like you suggest, with all the different types of data that exist, and increasingly so, we don't access all of it and we underutilize it today. And going forward, that'll only get worse if we don't uh, don't figure out ways to catch up. So that's the opportunity to figure out how to utilize more of the data, make it really work for us in terms of solving these important problems. And that part is not going to be easy. That's going to be some hard work. Who do you think really is going to need to take the lead? And, and when I say who, it's probably broader, like institutionally or government-wise, to establish methods of how that data, even let's say just for one person, like for me, how my Apple Watch data and um, diet data and tracking that's on my iPhone would ultimately get aggregated so that it would be, you know, used for insights by my primary care physician, as an example. I think that's a that's that's going to be the crux. At least one of the ch biggest challenges for all of us going forward is to figure out how to make all that happen and who's going to play the leadership role in making sure it happens. Because it involves all of us, doesn't it? I mean, it involves individuals. Certainly, it's all about the individual as a patient and, and what's best for each of us as patients and individuals. So we want 
that to happen for ourselves, for our families, and for our friends and uh, and colleagues. But it's there's a role for government. There's a role for the private sector, for the for-profit industry, for manufacturers. There's a role for academia. There's a role for not-for-profits. There's a role for uh, foundations. There's a role for the payers. Uh, and there's a role for practitioners and caregivers across the board. They all need to be involved in this and participated in an integrated way. That's really hard, getting all components of the ecosystem to participate, share, work together, try not to compete too much, at least not in a negative fashion, and trust one another enough to be able to contribute and utilize that data at scale across the entire ecosystem. That takes work, and the leadership has to come from the coalition of the willing. We need to find the, the the people and the organizations that are willing to step up and say, "Yeah, we want to be participate. We want to be participants in this, and we want to help make it happen." So, so let's assume in the global health ecosystem, you know, you're thinking about who those early participants are, sort of the pioneers in this area. Um, and and you know maybe you can give us some idea of the the personas don't have to name them specifically but the types of personas that are leaning into this and then I kind of follow that up with a second question of ultimately who's going to bear the financial burden of paying for the warehousing or the storage of this huge amount of you know of data that for each one of us that isn't going to be free and has to be protected, secured, and then ultimately unlocked for it to have any use? Those are all great questions. And I'm not sure I've got perfect or complete answers for any of them. I can kind of start uh, my my own version of answers, but I think the full answers are going to come from the community over time. We've seen, at least in the, particularly with COVID in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of organizations and a lot of individuals step up and contribute to becoming part of the solution for the, the huge challenge that the pandemic presented to healthcare and the ecosystem. We've seen it at the government level. We've seen it in the private sector. We've seen it with manufacturers. We've seen it with record manufacturers and vendors and their leadership. We've seen it with uh, cloud providers uh, for storage of data, uh, all of them, um, including uh, AWS, but also your competitors. We've seen it with providers, both major medical centers and smaller institutions, large, uh, very well-known institutions such as Mayo and smaller, much less well-known institutions as well, and everything in between. We've seen it with uh, the not-for-profit sector. We've seen it with foundations. We've played a role in my organization. So we've we have examples of who are some of the some of the organizations and some of the people already who are willing to raise their hand and step forward and step up. And they are, and they're continuing to. We're encouraging everybody to. We're not trying to be uh, discriminatory in any fashion in terms of who is uh, welcome to join. This is a coalition of the willing, and we emphasize willing. If uh, if an organization or an individual wants to contribute and wants to be part, those are the people and those are the organizations we want and we need. And so I think what will happen, particularly as we demonstrate that this approach works and that access to data at scale solves a lot of problems that we're 
previously intractable will attract more and more and it'll grow organically based on on those kinds of successes and the leadership will evolve as well so we'll figure out who who actually are the leaders in terms of the funding question that one's going to be tricky and i don't know the answer to that we need to figure out a sustainable model where the funding and the fundability gets built in so that it can persist for generations and not just for a year or two. And that's going to take everybody's thinking, but there's no question that needs to be solved uh, to, to make it go forward. But Ken, you're an expert on all of these topics as well. So maybe, maybe you have some thoughts to answer your own question. Do you have thoughts about sustainability and funding for the future? So I, I have thoughts. I don't have answers because one of the things I have seen um, developing in a positive way is I think the government's leaning in with recognizing that data is is, is extremely important to to healthcare. And you know we have new rules coming in place in in January, for example, by the National Institutes of Health that require a data storage and data sharing plan to be submitted on every single grant um, from primary investigators. And before, you know, having been a primary investigator before I could do, I could gather my data and I made a publication and the data, really the raw data could disappear uh, unless I was going for something like FDA approval. It seems like that's no longer allowed. And so my question immediately comes to mind is, you know, uh, getting an NIH grant, I have a defined grant for a defined period of time. Um, but after the end of that period, you know, really the ownership and governance of that data still seems to be murky. Um, and I think you know, the regulatory agencies, the granting agencies are going to need to give further guidance than they've given so far. And I think a lot of the academic world is, you know, kind of confused at the moment as to what this really means for them. And if you think about a large academic medical center or research institution that sees healthcare data growing at phenomenal rates, including things like, you know, we're getting a lot more images than we ever got in the past and sort of cradle to grave um, requirements for that data to be stored. And, you know, now all of this um, sort of research based initiatives, I just wonder where that burden is going to ultimately land. And, I do know that that some countries in Europe, for example, are are trying to tackle this and they're thinking about actually the patients that can afford it will take ownership of that data and put it, let's say, in their own um, private bank or private vault in, in the cloud. But that really doesn't address health equity. So I think we're both raising some really unsolved <laughs> questions and we're going to need you know further guidance and in my opinion only governments can address that um that gap the financial gap and, and give us clarities to what we all need to be doing as both patients and researchers 
Yeah, I agree. And I, I agree that those questions that you're raising are the ones that we need to grapple with uh, together going forward, because I don't have answers either. And they're going to be become even larger and larger questions as the amount of data and the utilization goes up. And I'll just compound the complexity of what you said. It's not just a storage and and paying for storage issue, but let's also add in uh, the elements of preserving patient privacy and um, uh, and various aspects of uh, HIPAA compliance and so forth with respect to the data and those kinds of safety uh, uh, elements that need to be incorporated in the storage, as well as the ever-present risk of uh, uh, of uh, cyber breaks for electronic data which also need to be uh, protected against. And that comes at a cost and it requires continuous upgrading and maintenance. So these are these are all ongoing and complex issues for the future. Um, you mentioned the NIH and their upcoming uh, rules uh, after the first of the year. I'll just say in terms of the federal government, there's one other, multiple organizations, but one other that I'll call out at this moment, which is the Office of the National Coordinator, ONC, which has also been setting up some very good standards for electronic control of electronic data and for, uh, and formatting of electronic data going forward and interoperability requirements for systems. And this too will help uh, with the kinds of things we're thinking about in the future. So I think in terms of government role, there are a number of ways uh, our government and federal government colleagues and organizations are going to be instrumental in making this happen, both in terms of the uh, regulations and the rules and the requirements, ultimately the funding, and then um, approval processes down, down the line, both with FDA and perhaps uh, CDC, uh, sorry, CMS for, for reimbursement and so forth, all of which will factor into how this all evolves in the future. So kind of, you know, it, it probably sounds like to our listeners that we're talking about sort of boiling the ocean, but I think, you know, the global health ecosystem and you at MITRE, you are thinking about this in a stepwise fashion and looking at ways to, to provide some answers to the healthcare community. Um, and I'm sure you have some priorities to how you want to approach uh, use of health data and, you know, where you think the shortest time with the biggest impact is going to be. So, you know, do you have some priorities and maybe you can explain a little bit of where you think the, the low hanging fruit is to get started? Sure. And you're absolutely right. We got to we got to be careful not to try to boil the ocean all at once. It is a monumental task and we well, and we have to start somewhere. So we have kind of selected our, our starting points and, uh, and and we're fairly far along, not hugely far along, but we've been working at it for a couple of years. So we've got some progress on our journey and uh, and starting to get some traction. But we, we started with a, a couple of ideas and a couple of uh, thoughts about the starting point. First of all, when we think about um, utilizing data at scale and, um, and lots of organizations are trying to think about that, one of the things that we understood fairly early on, despite all these good intentions, there's a, still a common flaw among many of our colleagues and their organizations, and that's that they 
view their own data, their own organization's data as their competitive advantage in the ecosystem. And in some cases, they regard it as proprietary. That's no longer the case. That may have been true in the past. It's not true now, and it definitely won't be true going into the future. Data are no longer a competitive advantage and won't be in the future. No, and why is that? Because no one organization is ever going to have enough compared to the scale of everybody's data together. So collective data is going to outstrip smaller data sets in terms of its utility and in terms of the impact on the questions that can be asked and answered. So first of all, we start with that as our, as our foundational premise. But then uh, how do we show that pulling data together can really solve problems that we couldn't solve before. Well, we've started in two ways. One, we've started with cancer oncology. Uh, why? Because it's a really important area with a lot of unsolved problems. It affects many, many people. And everybody you would talk to is either knows somebody with cancer, has somebody with cancer within their family, or unfortunately might be affected by it themselves. So it affect, it touches everyone uh, and, uh, and it creates many, presents many, many unsolved problems. And we started with cancer research, clinical research. Why? Because that lets us conduct a careful experiment of, about our techniques because we have a gold standard. We have the results from clinical trials and the careful methodology of clinical trials. And we can see if we can reproduce those results with data from the patient from the electronic health record. And if we can produce the same endpoints with fidelity in clinical trials using our methodology as all the bells and whistles do in the robust phase three uh, blinded uh, prospective clinical trials, then we know that our methodology is sound and we can expand it beyond clinical research and clinical trials to clinical care and then expand it beyond cancer to everything else. So we do have a stepwise process that we're going through. We're making good progress and we're very close to being able to show just what I believe to be true. My hypothesis is that we can do just as well with cl clinical data as we can with uh, clinical research data to generate those endpoints, at which point all things are possible. And, and once you have demonstrated that, will you, through the global health ecosystem or through MITRE, be providing um, roadmaps or processes that others can replicate to, you know, to start to get critical mass around um, areas, including other areas in oncology, but other, you know, important healthcare questions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So our intent is to share everything and make it all uh, transparent to the entire community so that everybody can, can learn from it and, uh, and replicate it and use it. Uh, we, uh, None of this will be proprietary. We won't own any of it. We're going to open source everything and let everybody uh, uh, use whatever tools they think are appropriate for them uh, in their problems and encourage as many as wish to, to join us. Because uh, again, if the, if the coalition grows and the, and the scale of the data sharing grows, then we're able to solve many more problems than just a subset. So we're really eager to see this approach and these tools be used by as many as are willing and want to use them, both either individually or collectively, and as rapidly as people wish. I, I, we could talk about this for hours, but I'll just kind of wrap up with, with one final question 
I'm a practicing oncologist and I understand the importance of, of precision health or precision medicine, and that's probably an area that in clinical practice that they, they see the benefit um, every day. With your crystal ball, when do you think an oncologist is going to have at their fingertips the ability to utilize data for the, their patient? Um, it's actually starting already. Uh, so we've got some pilot studies uh, at this moment where uh, oncologists are using some of these approaches for routine for their routine daily clinical care outside of clinical trials for their patients right this minute. We're collecting the results of that to make sure that that, that produces improvement in the outcome for those patients. If it does, and again, we'll share all those learnings with the community, my hope is if we're successful that that'll expand very rapidly but it's it's it has begun ken we're, we we've already started and i'm hoping it accelerates over the next very few years so we see it at scale within a very few years across the country yeah this is truly exciting i, I started my career when we were sequencing uh, DNA with, you know, 10 foot long gels in the lab and to see where it is today is just boggles your mind and, and so exciting. And so, Jay, I want to thank you. It's been a, a pleasure. I know we could talk on for hours, but um, we'll kind of wrap it up there. If someone wants to get in touch with, with you or with me at AWS, we will provide contact information on the link through Becker's. And again, I appreciate um, you willing to do this and to have this podcast talk today and also for all the great work you're doing at the Global Health Ecosystem and at MITRE. Thank you, Ken. It's been a great pleasure to be with you today as well. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And join us next for episode three, uh, which we will be launching in the new year of 2023.